You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to Episode 90, Life and Ministry Beyond the Algorithm. Well, our online lives are part of our daily lives in many respects, and these younger generations of Gen Z and now Gen Alpha have been digitally discipled in a lot of ways, uh, really since they can remember. And the way that affects the way we disciple them and engage with them should also shift as well. Uh, My guest today to help us talk about that is Dr. John Dyer. Uh, Dr. Dyer is at Dallas Theological Seminary, my alma mater, and uh, he's a webmaster, um, does a lot of things with online ministry, heads up some websites, teaches, he's an author, and he gives us some great insight in this very fun discussion about what it's like to weigh the pros and cons of how to use technology and how to use it for our advantage and leverage it well as we disciple these younger generations for the kingdom. So let's hop into this conversation with Dr. Dyer. Well, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for making time to join me today. Uh, For our viewers and listeners, could you give us a little intro about you and what you do? Sure. Well, my name is John Dyer, and I like to think of myself as kind of a programmer and a professor. So I get to build things, and I also get to teach about things. So sometimes I'm a technology creator, and sometimes I'm a technology critic. And trying to balance those two things is a really fun part of my life. So formally, I'm a vice president at Dallas Theological Seminary, overseeing a lot of our systems and online and distance education. And I'm also a theology professor. But then on the side, I get to make all kinds of fun things and, and also get to write and teach a little bit about technology and faith. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so it's been, gosh, 11 years now since I graduated from DTS. Um, and um, yeah, we we never crossed paths while I was there, but I've kept up with you online a lot. And so I'm really glad to be yeah. chatting with you today. And uh, as those who are watching and listening can tell from the title of our episode, um, we're talking about the digital landscape, but really how that affects our practical lives. And so something that you wrote that I want to use as a setup um, has to do with uh, one of the websites that you host and keep track of, bestcommentaries.com. And I saw on your personal website, you were writing about, um, you discovered how algorithms are maybe limiting uh, who sees what and how people judge the qualities of more recent works with older works for how to rate what's a good commentary. Um and you talked about the facets of customer base and scholarship and age. Um, and it made me think about how our digital lives, which this seems kind of obvious, our digital lives affect many capacities of our daily lives. Um, and then uh, on top of that, if most first world Christians, probably especially American Christians, think about it, the thing that's shaping them or even discipling them the most is probably their digital intake. Um, and so mm-hmm. the social dilemma, the great Netflix documentary really gave everyone a good behind the scenes look on how algorithms really control what we think and why we think it. Um, and so there, 
essentially kind of echo chambers of our own creating that smart algorithms are trying to mm. predict and set up for us to be pleased. Um, so that's a mouthful, but here's the first question. Uh, you've been involved in the world of digital ministry for a long time. What do you think the ratio is of how the digital world has been helpful for followers of Jesus versus how much has been detrimental for them? Mm, yeah. That's a, that's a tough question. And I think, I guess I would go back to a, a kind of a, almost a cop-out answer, but I hope this will be helpful. Probably 10 or 15 years ago, I remember Christianity Today had this article format where they would ask a question to three people. And they asked this question of, what do you think is the most dangerous technology to the church? This is again, 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, two of the authors gave great, great, great things to consider. But my answer was, you know, the technology we don't examine. Mm. So the idea is the one that we are least reflective about, that's probably the one that has the most potential to be, you know, negative. So that ratio is going to, is, I think, going to shift based on what we're thinking about. And at the time, the example I gave was just, say, online giving, a pretty um, innocuous thing that we don't, that doesn't really get a lot of discussion, isn't really threatening. But even then, you know, if, if you don't examine it all and you just add it, but you don't really think through how that's going to you know, affect the kid seeing his or her parent, you know, put something in a basket or the walking forward or all of those things, you may not be thinking about how that technology is, is forming us in a different way, forming our practices. So for churches, we love it because we get a regular tithe every week and we don't have to, you know, through the summer months, it continues. Um, and yet the, the formative aspect, we still have to think about, you know, how we do, how we communicate about that from the stage and from emails and whatever other media we use. So I think the way I would, again, put this is that the technologies that we just sort of assume and adopt and just kind of move forward with, those are the ones that I think have the the most issue for us, but then the ones that we really spend some time and dialogue about in, in community. And the, and the last thing I would just, just say to kind of add to this is that when I'm, when I'm talking to the audience for the first time, there's sort of two big things I want them to get. One of them is that technology is sort of theologically good. It's part of what God made us to be as humans, to be creators and users of technology. And when Genesis 1 and 2, when he's saying, care for the earth and have dominion and fill it with stuff, mm-hmm. that's filling it with babies, but that's also filling it with cool things that we make that reflect his image. And then there's the second one. So that's number one. It's technology. It's, it's theologically good, but that it's never neutral in the sense that whatever we're using is always forming us. And it's just that part where if we're not examining that part of it, either it's ability to glorify God or it's ability to deform us, that's where we get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the throwback to Genesis and the idea of us being sub-creators is a word that my youth pastor here likes mm-hmm. to use with his students. <laughs> and um, yeah, um, being able to fill it and with, with the key qualifier there of something of things that reflect him ultimately and we do as being made in his image and then things that we make that are the same kind of line and thought as jesus saying you know whatever you ask for you'll receive but the key there is like your heart needs to be what the heart of the father is and you're not going to get a new car or a new donkey or whatever mm-hmm. it's you know being able to ask for <laughs> Um, things that you actually need, whether you're in suffering or in lots, kind of like Paul talks about in Philippians 4. Um, so yeah, that mm. that theological high note mixed with, of course, the, the brokenness of our world and how if we don't have discernment, which is the next question that I'll get to, how that can kind mm-hmm. of spin out of control. Um, and, you know, as the parent of a three-year-old, um, my wife went to a conference about screen time and how that affects young minds and brains mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, 15, 
20 years ago, uh, one of my cousins sitting uh, his daughter down in front of a baby Einstein video while we went and ate dinner and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that that's like a terrible thing at all. It's just like, it's funny how it's like, well, this is Mm -hmm. good and it it stimulates this. And now we're Mm -hmm. we're worried about overstimulation and gray matter and all kinds of stuff. Um, So yeah, it's just interesting how, uh, how, complex technology is where you can see that it can be used well, but then what it's also sparked and there's not, you're right. When you said it's a hard question, I, I knew that when I asked it, but it's, I think it's something that, that we're all actively wrestling with. And if you have a ratio, you're probably walking through life doing this. Like there's no, there's no clean mm-hmm. answer and thinking about how that affects the minds of students, teenagers who you know, biologically are going through the biggest spurt biologically, physiologically, emotionally, everything else. Um, that's not an easy thing to carry. And so as, as the church and especially those who are watching and listening as youth workers to be um, investing purposefully with their time in the next generation, that's, that, that's hard for us to wrestle with. And so just thinking about how a teenager is doing that while they're trying to grow and develop into a normal human being for the 21st century is a, it's a hard, Mm. it's a hard thing. So humility is certainly needed and lacking uh, in ministering and education and life. But I Mm. think discernment, what I just mentioned, um, something I think is just as necessary and seemingly harder to instill and coach. Um, You have the polarized extremes Mm. of Politics and religion, primarily American evangelicalism, uh, those are the notable examples, but then there are always others that are large and subtle. Um, so, John, what do you think would be good approaches for youth workers to employ with students and families that they minister to regarding good discernment in this complex digital age? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even the example you gave of Baby Einstein, I think is a really key one because... A lot of times we, we focus on the content and making sure that you're taking in good content and not bad content. Mm-hmm. And, and we certainly should do that. I mean, I think God cares about our holiness and the things we put into our eyes that affect our heart and all that stuff. So we don't want to be putting you know, negative words or images or whatever into our mind. I think the the part that we need to be more attentive to, though, is sometimes there's this phrase, the medium is the message, right? That when we're thinking about how we communicate, we would say, you know, 90% of our communication is nonverbal. It's the hand gestures, it's the tone of voice. All of that is what shapes what someone actually hears. So you can say, I love you. You can say it in a really kind way. You can say it in a way that really means, please forgive me. You can say it in a snarky way, all that kind of stuff that you can shape. And, and that should tell us that sometimes the medium, the thing that's doing the communication is actually more important than the words itself. And so what we've been seeing with young kids um, in the Baby Einstein example is that it doesn't really matter if they're watching kind of an entertainment show like, you know, DuckTales or, or Bluey or whatever, or they're watching an educational show that's supposed to make them read like Baby Einstein or Your Baby Can Read or whatever. It doesn't really matter the content. It's just that time on screen seems to have a negative effect on the brain early on. And so that's why the American Pediatric Association would say, you know, if you, if you can avoid screens when kids are, you know, up till two years old, that would be really, really helpful for their brain development for them, you know, to make eye contact with human beings um, instead of like people on screen and with all the objects around them. That's just really important in their formation. 
So the content seems, oh man, I want my kid to read when they're 18 months old, but that's not really what's, what's happening. We're, we're training them in a particular way on their screen. Mm. So that's, that I think is a, an example just early on. And I, I should say just for a second that, um, Sometimes that ideal of not having your kids ever be on a screen, the more kids you have, the older they are, it's, that's very, very hard. It's, that's not meant to be to guilt parents into saying, you know, you're, you're destroying your kid or something like that. But it's, it's really to highlight that formative part. And then, you know, if you start with a, another kind of safe example, you know, of, of our physical bodies, it's really easy to see this formative impact in that area. So the example I always give is like a shovel that, you know, you can dig a hole and you, you change the world, right? You do something like what Genesis 1 and 2 is saying. But whether or not you're doing that for morally good ends or morally bad ends, so if you are, you know, axe murdering somebody and burying their body parts or you're building a church for a mission thing, one is good and one is bad, but either way, at the end of the day, you get blisters and calluses and your muscles change and your knowledge of the soil changes and you get changed and your moral intent doesn't affect how you get changed by that tool, right? And I think the same thing when we walk into a gym, we think about like there's little illustrations on each tool that says, this affects your bicep and this affects your quadricep. And it tells you, if you do this activity repeatedly, this part of your body is going to be changed. And so I think we want to have the same approach for every tool that we have, for our phones, our laptops, our TVs, our air conditioning, everything that we use, uh, our projectors in church, our microphones, and assume what's going to happen on the other end is, is there should be a little illustration that says it's going to change this thing when you use it. And it doesn't really matter why you're doing that. If you're doing exercise for vanity or you're doing it for health, it doesn't really matter your moral intent. You get shaped into using it. So I think that framing, it, it just goes, okay, so if, if we know that in the physical world, what do we need to think about um, in the much more complex world of, of the mind, of the soul, of our relationships? And then, then we can start asking questions of our students. Now, I think all the way through elementary school, you know, kids don't really have a lot to reflect on because for them, this is just the world that is. You and I are old enough to where we, we remember when, uh, say, Facebook came out, when we remember when TikTok came out. But our kids don't know that world before phones and those kinds of things. When, once you kind of hit middle school, a kid is, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, especially in the high school, usually there's been some change that they can reflect on. And you can say, what was like life before chat GPT? What do you remember? And what change did that bring? And that, that big thing to say, let's reflect on this together, I think can be really, really helpful. So again, start with sort of safer examples, the physical world, and then move into our modern world and, and reflect on and ask students to say, what's different from elementary school? And I think that's a great, great place to start. Yeah. Oh, I love that example of the weight machines and the image. And um, yeah, if you do something, whether it's, you know, um, a really simple example is um, is suggesting for people who always drive the same road, the same way, like try and drive different ways home or to work because that Mm. actually stimulates the brain and has some, some new pathways. Mm. And, you know, whether it's doing crossword puzzles or, Sudokus or things like that to avoid dementia. We're always trying to navigate change, whether we know it or not. And so if you're mm-hmm. trying to be proactive, um, when a lot of the times we're probably more reactive than we want to be, uh, we we are in the process of being changed. And scripture certainly highlights how we should be changing into the likeness of Christ. Um, but just as we're being shaped, um, 
by, you know, whatever we're using or doing. Um, yeah, thinking about it in a proactive way and like a self-awareness of how am I being formed and changed, even if I am building a church and not <laughs> bearing a body. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> engaging with people who are also being changed and the fact that their knowledge of being right and linking it more to their public identity probably takes precedent more mm. over the same mm. physiological change that all of us are experiencing. And for students to not have the life experience or even the abstract foreknowledge of realizing how that's affecting who they are and who they're going to be instead of just, I need to answer the questions on this mm-hmm. test. I need to pick a major. I need to get a good job, mm-hmm. which are all important mm-hmm. things. But yeah, that, that deep uh, philosophical chasm of just thought and being shaped as a, I mean, that could fill a lot of seminary classrooms. I could fill a lot of lecture halls that, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and it, and it has, but, you know, I, I think for youth workers, it's good to have that thought process behind sit down and listen to this message and have these three or four questions. Because when you get a leverage point to be able to ask students a reflective question, like you brought up of what was life like before X, mm-hmm. um, it might make them, your hope is, I think the biggest win, one of the biggest wins for youth workers, for students, is to help them be more proactive instead of reactive, because that's going to shape mm-hmm. how they get their news and information. It's going to shape how they see others and love others well. Um, you know, one of the things I like to tell parents um, is, you know, if the metric that you're using see how good a parent you are and how well your student is doing is college acceptance letters and not the fruit of the spirit. You're, you're missing mm-hmm. a huge calling of what it means to be a parent and as a youth worker to really invest in those kids and point them to how they should be seeing themselves and seeing the world that God created instead of just being in the world yeah. and thinking, okay, I'm, I can think one foot at a time, one step at a time, one deadline at a time, which most of us get caught in that. But to teach students to be proactive is probably the best big picture key to helping them learn discernment in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I like the example you gave of, in some sense of college, of saying, if I want to get into this college, I need to get these grades. Mm -hmm. If I want to get these grades, I need to do this kind of study habit. So we have some goal and we recognize that I'm going to have to do some hard things to get to that goal. And we might have the same thing, you know, in sports, we say, man, if I want to be able to run a marathon or if I want to be able to be excel you know you might say well the morale it's it's morally wrong for me to consume alcohol as a young kid but it's also going to like hurt me and my ability to be an athlete and so the motivation shift happens there i think the underlying question that we're asking in this and the deeper one is what kind of person do i want to become and how will this tool shape me to get there so rather than saying like should i use this or should i not it's more of this question of of in a, in a year from now, what do I want to be known as? And so, you know, you might say, I want to know about the the, the trends that are happening on, on TikTok. But I, it's a question of, do I, do I want to be the, a person who watches four or five hours of that a day? That's a, that's sort of a different shift there that I, that I have to know about every single trend. Um, or do I want to be the kind of person that always wins online? You know, mm-hmm. is, is that just 
who I want to be? Is the guy that constantly wins the arguments? Um, or is there something else that I want to be? And most of the time, the things that we really want to be require some some difficult work, some some activity, some intentionality. And most of what's on our screens is people on the other end who are, are monetized to get us to stay on there for whatever it is that they're selling, which is usually your attention. And so it, it's very easy to gravitate that way. So even just things like if you use your phone as an alarm, which is so common, put it on your nightstand, that's the alarm. Just It's really hard to resist the gravity right after you turn it off to, to look at something on there. You know, you know, It's email, calendar, TikTok, whatever that thing is. So you may need to then think about how I restructure my life. Like I, I, I now have my phone uh, charging somewhere else, and just have a standard alarm clock, so that I, I just, I, I'm not strong enough to resist that temptation right away, right? Um, and again, I'm not moralizing it, but just saying I don't want to be the kind of person that spends the first half hour of my day on my phone, mm-hmm. and so I have to come up with a way to to do that differently. So I think again that that question of who who am I becoming and who do I want to be and how will this help me or hinder me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely putting habits in place. Yeah, because you, you can you can talk about what's ideal, but then if you don't put the practices and work into yeah. it of making it happen, it's just going to be talk. Um, and yeah. I also feel like whether it's podcasts, whether it's you know uh, well-meaning uh, speakers or content creators, um, I think like there have been some church conferences I've gone to where it's a lot of inspirational, aspirational. Oh, great. You know, mm. these are great things. And I walk away with, well, I don't know how to do any of that. Uh, that wasn't talked about. Mm-hmm. And then I've also been to conferences where there's that plus workshops and breakouts that are practical and hands-on and learning. And I'm like, that is a night and day difference. And when we're teaching students mm-hmm. um, to come out of children's ministry and go beyond knowledge and concrete to actually living out abstract, developing identity, who am I in Christ? What does that mean for my life? It is going to be more than words, but so often I think maybe because youth workers might be afraid to push the envelope, afraid to kind of push a little bit or to really just have accountability or to really just be a good coach for students. We might let them settle or we just settle for, okay, give me a good answer and that's great because you guys are sixth graders. You're driving me crazy. I just want to go home. You know, uh, being able to have a good proactive mindset f- for them that teaches them that, and that I think develops them into the person that they want to be. If they hear about the work and see that what's needed, and they see it modeled by you, that's going to be a massive um, wake up call for them more than sitting and listening to youth pastor talk for 20 minutes, which is fine. But if we all think about, if we had youth group experience, what we remember, we don't remember those talks. Remember Mm -hmm. the people who were present and there for us and how they showed their care for us. That's what we remember. We might remember at most four Mm -hmm. or five talks out of six, seven years in youth ministry, if that, but we're going to remember the people and why they were investing in us. Not that they were just crossing their arms and looking at their watch. They were like, how can I help make you who God wants you to be? You know, so, um, yeah, I love that. Um, so we've mentioned some highlights already, but I definitely wanted to just ask you this as far as a speaking of practical application takeaway. You mentioned um, the, the technologies that we're not thinking about the, or the subtle ones, but you know, I've seen you tweet mm-hmm. and write about ChatGPT, how that's affecting academics, of mm-hmm. course, so social media. 
what do you think youth workers um, should know about as the one or two biggest topics or areas to keep in mind for these tech-driven students? We have our sixth graders, uh, who's the first generation of, of Gen Alpha, the first wave that are finishing sixth grade this spring. Um, and then you have Gen Z right now. So what are one or two big areas you think youth workers should be aware of when it comes to how do I mm. deal with or be aware of what's out there, te- technically speaking? Mm. So that's a great question. I'm, you know, I was a middle school youth, path, youth pastor for about five years, but this was now 20 years ago. And so things, I think, are pretty different. I mean, it's always tempting to say things were better before. And I don't mean that. But I do mean that the challenges are pretty significantly different. I think, you know, the, the backdrop that you probably talked about a lot is just a much more pluralistic society that, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, you might refer to people of other religions, but they were kind of out there. And, you know, my kids just have grown up with a ton of different folks mm-hmm. that they that they know. So they're 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 used to being in that world. Yeah. And so for me, I mean, I think the 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 exposure is one of them. So one of the things I would say is you know, probably for the generation of youth workers, the primary like cultural input that they were getting was for maybe movies and TV and music. And I think that that's still, you know, somewhat true. I think social media is obviously one of them, whatever, whatever platform it is. But I think the other real one that I'm noticing a lot now is just sort of the YouTube personalities or the the, the person who might be on one of those things where they're re- really pushing a particular view. And so you see a lot of overreaction to something. So I think there certainly has been a thing as, as we move to cities and we become more comfortable, we're less physically active. And so that affects boys and girls differently. And so there is a, you know, sort of video game and do, do nothing kind of negative side of video games. I I certainly think they're positive in in other ways, but then there's that overreaction of like hyper-masculinity that you sometimes see on, you know, some of those characters who are out there. And um, those YouTube personalities can be very, very strong on that because of the kind of compelling and um, uh, retention content that they produce. So I really think saying, what do you think the primary influences and speakers in your life are? And, you know, noting who do you follow on on YouTube or whatever it is that you happen to use? I I think that's a pretty big deal. Mm. Um, And then the other one, I think there's just a little more fun and probably more um, future oriented would be the AI discussion. Just, Just in general, there's so much happening right now. And I think, you know, AI has been with us for a long time. You know, it's in our anti-lock brakes. It's what makes, does 90% of our flights, you know, the, the pilot takes off and does nothing and then lands, you know. So there's there's so many areas that we're already, you know, using various forms of AI. But I do think that, that last fall when, you know, the OpenAI company made the chat interface, just that that feeling of interaction, it has a real serendipity to it, a real, um, you know, they have a couple of little randomizers in there so that you you and I would get different answers to the same prompt. And that that feeling um, of just something new and exciting kind of hits us in a particular way. And I think reflecting on that and reflecting on, so what does it mean to know something? Because certainly the, the, those systems can know and regurgitate a lot more information than we can. So again, it's coming back to that question of what do I want to be like? So just like I might go run, even though I have a vehicle, I, I want to form my body in a particular way. So when it comes to my mind, I might have to ask that question of, of what does AI say about what kind of mind I want to have and what kind of mind I don't want to develop. So again, I think those two, just um, the, the content creators that are presenting a particular kind of life in a very explicit way, not like the entertainment way, but they're saying, this is what you should do. And this is who you should be to be a top 1% woman or whatever that is. And then the other side is just the, um, the AI question of how that will play into it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I think those are 
right on as far as what we should be thinking about. Um, well, John, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I do want to give you a moment just to talk about um, any recent books that you've had come out or projects that you're working on and ways that people can keep up with you online. Yeah, well, I do have some academic works. There's a book called People of the Screen about digital Bibles. It's really on the academic side. But the real practical introductory book is called From the Garden to the City. And I think it's really readable by middle school and high school kids. It has questions at the end. It's kind of a, a theology of technology and a um, really a sense of like and this formative part of it. It's not super practical, so it would be more of that thought process. And I would really highly recommend. My favorite probably is Justin Whitmell Early's The Common Rule. I think is just a great set of, of practices. And then Andy Crouch's um, work, I think mm-hmm. as well, are both really yeah. great in that area. On the more kind of practical side, there's a little fun thing like I w- I'll make things like BibleReadingPlanGenerator.com where you can select some books and how long you want to read and it'll build something for you. So you can you can print something out that you can use. Um, I think, you know, Worship.ai is a little kind of experiment of generating worship songs using AI so you can get a little bit more and, and see how that stuff works. Um, on the other side, I'm, I'm from the South. And so I, when I was learning Greek and Hebrew in seminary with you, we found out that, you know, Greek and Hebrew have a different word for you singular and you plural. And so down in the South, we use the word y'all to be you plural to refer to a group. And so I made a little website called y'all version. Instead of you version, it's y'all version and it shows all those places. So you can see that, you know, I love Jeremiah 29, 11, but it says, I know the plans I have for y'all. And it's sort of God talking about a whole group of people. And it, it's certainly true for you as an individual as well, but God is doing something bigger than you as an individual. And the neat thing is that you as an individual get to join in that thing that he's doing with all people. Mm-hmm. So those are just a couple of little websites. My personal website is just j.hn. So my name John, but the O is it just a period. So j.hn if you want to find out more. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to introduce a group of people here at the church to the y'all version. And it was a lot of fun. They're like, oh, this is great. I'm like, see, y'all isn't just for people in the South. It's it's for everybody. It's for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, we're hoping to get that in uh, in print and in the U version too, so you can access it more oh, easily in, in the future. So that would be great. Look, looking forward to that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Right there next to the Hawaii Pigeon translation, there'll be the, the y'all version. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right. Uh, well, John, thanks again, and uh, I'll be praying for you as you continue uh, pouring into seminary students and helping us navigate the digital ministry frontier. Yeah, well, thanks for what you do. I, I have kids right in middle school today, and I appreciate youth workers out there. They're forming the next generation. And I just want to thank everybody out there who does youth ministry for what you're doing for my kids and for all kids in the next generation. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Dr. Dyer for joining us. You can find some links to his websites in the show notes. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There, you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility, and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, 
and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios. Adios.